The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 284. Please, just a reminder to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That way, people who are looking for help or hope in the field of addiction will find us. Also, please check out our YouTube channel, subscribe, and ring the bell. That way you will be notified when we put up a new episode. I can tell you right now, we put up a new episode every week on Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, pretty much like clockwork. We do have a special podcast that we put up back in June, and sometimes we do that, but mostly Thursdays at 6, you can be certain one of, one of our podcasts will be going up. Today we have an interview with two ladies. One of them's name is Gina McDonald. Gina is a former addict herself and now dealing with her daughter Sam's addiction. And Jackie Berlin. Jackie is dealing with her son Corey's addiction. The two women have formed an organization called Mothers Against Drug Deaths. And I am excited to talk to them. Obviously, being a mother myself, their subject matter is near and dear to my heart. So let's talk to Gina McDonald and Jackie Berlin. I want to thank you ladies so much for joining the podcast today. Jackie just popped up there, so I'm going to introduce you. This is Jackie Berlin. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Gina McDonald, thank you as well for being here today. Thank you so much for having us, Joni. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I really want to spread the words about what you two are doing and get you as much help as I possibly can. But to start off, Gina, tell us about, tell us your background. I know you have your own history with drugs and now you're dealing with a loved one who is having an issue. So give us your story, your life story in one minute or less. Just kidding. Sure. One minute. Okay. No, just kidding. No, that's all right. Um, I grew up in a in California, um, little small Bay Area, um, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, I'm one of five kids. My father um, is a was a career military man, career Navy, and my mom was a stay at home mom for a while. Uh, my dad was a complete and total alcoholic. Um, yeah, my, and my mom was never my mom never drank a day in her life. She, um, my, my, my dad was a functioning alcoholic, but he was drunk every day of my life. Um, I never really thought that impacted me until, until later. Did she know? Did your mom know? Oh, absolutely. And she just Uh, dealt with it. Uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful codependent person because four of her five children have addiction and substance issues. Right. So we see the, we see the hereditary line there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so probably around, I would say, 13 or 14, I started hanging out with my older siblings, and I started drinking on weekends, and seemed very normal. Everybody was doing it. So that became, you know, a normal weekend adventure for me and, and um, my family. And later... I would say when I was about 21, when the bar scene started, that's when it started to become a real problem for me. Mm. And um, I was a binge drinker. Like there was no one drink for me or two drinks. It was all or nothing, right? I didn't drink for the taste. 
I didn't care what it was. Um, I drank to get drunk. So fast forward, I have my daughter. I stay clean throughout. I get married and married a married an alcoholic addict. And um, yes, and we. I, I had a daughter at 26 years old. She was, um, I didn't drink or use or anything while I was pregnant with her. After she was born, responsibility hit me and it was back on. So, um, yeah, I was off and running and drinking for quite some time. Um, Got into recovery, found recovery through, um, people started telling me, you have a problem. So I started just going to AA meetings. I didn't do any sort of treatment at that time. Um, and then we're just going to fast forward through a lot of that because I was on and off and on and off. Um, I got into another relationship and I had a son. So my daughter and my son are 11 years apart. And after I had my son, I had a surgery and I was prescribed pain medication. And that ignited every single bit of alcohol addict behavior in me and I was off and running so you couldn't smell the pills right so this was my <laughs> this was my answer you couldn't smell you could smell alcohol yep but you couldn't, you couldn't smell the pills and 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 my husband now is in recovery he's 23 years in recovery so I thought I was fooling him right mm. um, so I did the doctor shopping I did all that um, I ran out of every resource there started buying them off the street and this was prior to this was 2000 10, 11. So this is prior to the big push of fentanyl, right? Yeah. Luckily, the pills I was getting off the street were the pills they were supposed to be. And <laughs> yeah, because if you if you if it was later, you could be dead now. Oh, a- absolutely. One thousand percent could be dead. And my um, uh, to get off the pills when I couldn't get the pills anymore, I switched to methamphetamine because I thought that that was a better way to get off the pills. Okay. And within within six months, Joni, I was uh, kicked out of my house. I weighed 98 pounds. Wow. I was, uh, my kids were taken away from me. I was served with a restraining order. My kids were taken away from me. I was homeless. I was pulling apart electrical boxes on the street. I was eating parts of my phone, SD cards out of my phone. Yes. It was really bad. Wow. So, yeah, the sheriff's department picked me up. Thank God I praise them every day that the Alameda County Sheriff picked me up and drove me to a mental hospital and offered treatment or jail, you know, and nudged me towards treatment. So I went in there and from that day, it, it you know, that changed my life. Wow. What year was that? When was that, Gina? That was two that was 2012. Okay. So ten years. I have ten years sobriety now. Okay. And then what happened with Sam? Sam was a pot smoker in high school and she had seen what, obviously what I was going through. Her father and I were um, no longer together. She spent a lot of time at her father's house. She had a lot more freedom at her father's house. Um, She was smoking pot. She got into cocaine. As soon as I found out, I, we put her into treatment, right? We had insurance. We're very privileged, put her into a treatment facility. She did really well for a while had a really bad breakup with her boyfriend and all of a sudden she's a heroin addict oh. and a fentanyl addict and on the streets of San Francisco. Wow. So she's a fentanyl and addict. She, well, not purposely, right. She was, a, oh. she was in recovery now. So I'll get to that. Right. But she's a, 
she was a heroin addict who inadvertently, because in San Francisco, everything in the Bay Area, in California, really, everything has fentanyl in it. Right. So everything is laced with fentanyl. Wow. And we will talk more about that. Um, but you said that she is in treatment now. Yes. Okay. We, we finally had to let go, right? We There was nothing else we could do. Um, we took her car. We took her phone. We took. We offered every resource available, first of all, but she um, just kept kept going and kept going. And the more we gave her and the more we helped her, the more lies and the more um, the more it seemed to enable her, really. Right. So we cut her off. And when she had nothing, she finally um, reached out. Wow. Right? I'm glad. I'm glad she's in treatment. Yes. Almost eight months sober. Wow, that's very cool. Congratulations. Congratulations on your sobriety and on hers. (laughs) Thank you. So, Jackie, tell us about Corey. Tell us about your background and Corey when he was little and what happened with him. Sure. My son, Corey, he's 30 years old now. um, And he is a fentanyl addict currently on the streets of San Francisco. Um, he is the second oldest of five children, and um, he was always a really happy, easygoing kid. But when he started going through adolescence, he started having issues with anxiety and depression, as many adolescents do. <clears throat> he started smoking marijuana. Um, he got caught with it at school, and he had to go through some programs, um, lots of counseling with us as a family, him by himself, he and I together. <clears throat> and he seemed to be doing great for um, for quite a while. And then senior year in high school, he started smoking again. And we tried everything we could, you know, to get him to stop, but he was really sneaky about it. And once he was 18, we had younger children in the home and he was still bringing drugs into the house. We said, You know, you're not abiding by the rules of the house. You have to go. So we set him up in an apartment. He had a job. He's always, he's always worked, um, been, you know, been a good employee. So we got him set up in the, in the apartment and, um, he was paying the bills on his own. Then he got arrested. He was 18 years old and he sold marijuana to a 17 year old and he got arrested for that. Um, and he got convicted of it. So he went to jail for a little while. Um, they didn't offer him a diversion program. Oh, that's I very helpful. That's... Sorry. Yeah. I mean, not. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sorry. That's a that's a snide comment, but that's just not helpful for someone that age. No, I think it was <clears throat> the person he sold to was the son of a um, someone who had connections. Um, so I think they were able to really get, you know, get him prosecuted. more than they would have been able to. Um, But anyway, so he had a girlfriend and um, one day they were smoking and drinking and someone offered them some to smoke some, some heroin. And his girlfriend tried it. She liked it. She kept telling him, you got to try this. He kept saying, no, 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 I'm not going to try it. And then um, he told me later that if he hadn't been smoking marijuana and drinking he never would have tried it but um he ended up trying it and he liked it and that was 
the beginning of his um, horrible addiction to opiates. And how old was he at that point? He was actually, he was 21 by then. Okay. Okay. So how did you two ladies connect up? So we connected because um, I started um, Stop Fentanyl Deaths and I got involved with um, activism and I think Gina found me through that. What happened was um, my son, I was on um, social media and there's a page called um, Facebook Rants and Raves. And I was scrolling through there and I saw someone who was passed out on a BART train and it was an addict and people were saying horrible things about him. And I looked closer at the picture and I realized that's my son. Oh my God. And I was really upset. Yeah. About things that people were saying. And, um, so I went and called my friend and she said, just ignore it. Don't say anything, but it bothered me so much. So I went back in there. I went back on there and I said, that's my son. As soon as I said that it made a huge difference. People started their tone changed and they said, I'm so sorry. And, um, they, they stopped criticizing him. Just that little saying that one thing humanized him. Yep. Um, and it changed the whole way that they were talking about him. And it also so, showed that you're a mom who knows that your son has a problem and you're willing to talk about it, you yes. know? And I think that yes. that's huge. You as well, Gina, you guys, I mean, I want to know more, but you guys are willing to get out there and talk about it. And so many families, they just want to close it off and keep it quiet and not let anybody know. And truthfully, that's not helpful to the addict any more than it's helpful to you guys and the family. No. I'm going to do my best not to rant during this podcast, but, you know, I may may get there. I'll be quiet now. (laughs) But in recovery... In recovery, we say we're only as sick as our secrets, right? And I think that um, that you know extends to, to the family as well. And, and until we talk about it more, we're not going to get the help and the resources that we need. And, and we don't want we want to make it okay to talk about it. it. Is it is for a parent of someone struggling on the streets, especially when they're in and out, in and out, like my, my kid has been, like, like Jackie's son has been, you almost get PTSD. You really do. I, I, I believe that. You know, and you're waiting, you know, my daughter's clean right now and I'm so happy and I'm thrilled and I'm supportive, but I'm waiting for something to happen. I get it. I, I get it. You know, we've talked to parents whose kids have died from overdoses and that I can't even imagine how tragic that is. But you guys are living with that possibility every single day. And I, I, I applaud you for not hiding in a closet and putting your head down. And I, I applaud you for not doing that and doing what you're doing. I really do. Well, I feel like that was, you know, that interaction on social media with people really changed my perspective. And that's when I realized it was important to speak out. So I started doing more of that Um, news um, and reporters started reaching out to me. So I started speaking out about it. And um, then I met an author, Michael Schellenberger, who is writing a book called San Francisco about the open air drug markets in San Francisco. Um, So my son and I, part of our story is in that book. 
And we spoke, I spoke with Michael about it and he says, have you ever thought of doing any kind of activism? And I said, no. And, um, I said, but I sure would like to go, you know, protest those, um, drug dealers in San Francisco. And he goes, let's do it. Let's do it. So I said, okay. I said, yes, I want to do that. I want to bring attention to this. It's not okay. Those open air drug markets in San Francisco are insane. And I'm sorry for so interrupting. We went, as I, as I mentioned to you, I think I've, you know, this, we're into our sixth year. We've been doing this for five years and there was so much I didn't know about the drug problem. And I might've been one of those people on social media who would have made that comment prior to knowing that it was your son and you're a real person and you're not like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I had no idea about open air drug markets. I'm now going to make this podcast non clean. What the fuck? I'm sorry. You have no idea, Joni. It is, I was out yesterday in the city. <clears throat> I lost count of the amount of drug dealers and, and sales going on right in front of me. It is literally like the gauntlet out there. It is unreal. And I don't think anybody understands until they've seen it, but it is, it is unreal. And it's, and it, and nothing is being done. Police are arresting people when they can, when they can, we're down, San Francisco is down 500 police officers, Right. That's a, ma a major problem. Is that because they're defunding them? Uh, I think a lot of that, well, the mayor defunded and then refunded. So, but now the board of supervisors is fighting that. So I, I it, to me, it makes no difference. People are out there selling fentanyl on the street. Unbelievable. But, is it just in a certain part of the city, Gina, or is it everywhere? So it is, it is centralized in the Tenderloin. Okay. Which is a um, very low income, right? Part of San Francisco. It has it is it is the part of San Francisco that has the most children, right? So children walk by that every day by hired guard. San Francisco hired community ambassadors to walk children to school, but won't arrest drug dealers. But it is spreading. I mean it's spreading, it's spreading. Jackie can talk to you about how it's spreading from San Francisco into the suburbs. It's, yeah. Wow. Jackie? Yeah, it's, it's awful. My son and I are in frequent communication. Um, I talk to him usually once a week or at least every two weeks. And he knows what I'm doing. He knows what I'm advocating for and he completely supports it. Um, but he says that he is seeing more and more high school aged kids coming in and buying from the drug dealers and he sees them going back home on BART and taking it to the suburbs. And um, my son actually, um, he grew up in a, in a small suburb. He lives in the city now because that's where the drugs are. And that's where it's easiest to get what he feels he needs to feed his, his illness, his addiction. Um, but we are definitely seeing this, I want to call it a virus, spreading from San Francisco, um, it's real easy with BART. Um, and we've been seeing high school students getting, you know, pills that have fentanyl in them. And then as Gina said, everything that's in San Francisco is spiked with a little bit of fentanyl. And it's so incredibly addictive that once they take, whether they try a little cocaine, you know, uh, or you can't even get heroin actually anymore. 
um, in the city because it's so much more expensive and fentanyl is more potent. So why would I, I asked my son if he would go back to heroin, which sounds crazy to me that I would ask my son, can you just go back to heroin? He says that he can't because he wouldn't be able to get it anymore. Um, wow. It's just not on the streets because it's not profitable. It's not right. profitable anymore. The fentanyl right. is the thing that's profitable. And right. that's why the dealers are putting it into everything because it's incredibly addictive and much more profitable. It's really inexpensive, easy to manufacture. They only have to bring in much smaller amounts than when they were trying to traffic heroin. Right. So it's, I mean, it's a great product if you're trying to make money. Yes. How, Gina, how did you guys hook up and how did you start Mothers Against Drug Deaths? So I had seen the social media post that Jackie's talking about um, on Facebook. And I saw her response and I thought, oh, God, I, I, this is heartbreaking, right? My, my kid is doing the same thing. I didn't respond to her at that time. But then I saw her in the San Francisco Chronicle standing on the corner where my daughter buys drugs, where my daughter was smoking fentanyl in a tent. <clears throat> kind of chokes me up a little bit. Yeah. And I saw her standing there with a sign that, that said, stop drug this. Why are we allowing these dealers to stand out here? And I immediately Googled her, looked her up, emailed her, and um, got hooked up to the California Peace Coalition, which is um, a broader spectrum coalition of groups like ours that have come together to fight this. But ever since then, we have been pretty vocal. And then we changed our name. We changed our name to Mothers Against Drug Deaths because we thought it was um, uh, more, first of all, power comes from mothers. Let me tell you that. Yes, ma'am. People listen to us um, when we have something to say. And um, these are our kids we're talking about. So we definitely wanted to put that in there. And uh, we've had so many people email us and the stories are just heartbreaking, right? I mean, yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. You don't mess with moms. I'm sorry. No. I'm going to do a little screen share here. You guys can keep talking about Mothers Against Drug Deaths, but I want to show what you guys did um, in San Francisco, which, hello, everybody watching. Yeah. If you're not watching, if you're just listening to an audio podcast, you're not going to see this image. So go to YouTube and check it out. But the sign basically says it's in front of the tents, which obviously has people living in them. And it says, welcome to Camp Fentanyl, open to kids everywhere. Are you ashamed of your loved one's addiction? Are you worried that your loved one will overdose before they hit bottom? Do you walk on eggshells because of your loved one's addiction? If the answer is yes to any of those questions, the Addiction Intervention Book is for you. Author Rob Lohman brings you 11 breakthrough strategies to help you or a loved one discover freedom from the chaos of addiction. Restore your hope for the future and break free from the hopelessness of addiction. Visit www dot addiction intervention book dot com to get your copy today also available on amazon you are listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us 
go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Right. So that was from, uh, we put that billboard up in Sacramento. That was our, sac- our second billboard. Okay. We put that one up in Sacramento to, because we weren't getting attention from the mayor in San Francisco. So we thought we'd go to Gavin Newsom, right? So we um, put that build up billboard up on Highway 80. And then we also rented a mobile billboard to drive around the Capitol. And we um, gave a little uh, press conference to talk about it. Wow. I said, this to, I, I, I said this to Jackie before we started. Y'all are kick-ass moms. This is good. You have to be kick-ass to deal with what you're dealing with. I, I'm just, I'm appalled at what's going on in San Francisco. Yep, listen, I, I have no, I, I have no shame, no shame, no fear. I, I, I don't get, I don't have a dot. I, I don't get paid by the government. I am doing this on my own. I'm not a nonprofit right now. I don't get paid anything to do this. This, we need to call attention to this. People are dying every day. Absolutely. Jackie, you were going to say something. I was going to say that um, after our billboards in Sacramento, um, Newsom mentioned fentanyl for the first time, just a couple days later, for the first time ever. So I know we were getting some attention we did move with those billboards in Sacramento. Our first billboard was actually in San Francisco. Um, we put them. We put it in Union Square, and it said um, San Francisco famous the world over for its um, brains, beauty, and dirt cheap fentanyl. And dirt cheap fentanyl. Yeah, um, and we put it right in a in a tourist area because we were really frustrated with Mayor Breed. She had declared a state of emergency to clean up um, San Francisco, the, the drug scene. There it is. Yep. And, and um, to clean up the drugs, drug scene. And then she put some things in place, but they really didn't make any changes. And just a few months later, she was going to Europe to promote San Francisco as as a tourist destination. And we were surprised and angry and upset that she would on the heels of calling a emergency, turn around and say, Oh, it's, there's nothing happening here. It's fine. Come to San Francisco. Wow. So that's why we did the billboard in San Francisco. Wow. So definitely got everything you said there, Jackie, about the, um, not the governor was the mayor of Sacramento. 
Mayor Mayor Breed okay. was um, she called a state of emergency in San Francisco about the drug addiction and overdose problem in San Francisco. Okay. Um, and she implemented a few things that didn't work well at all. Um, really didn't make any changes. And then she ended the state of emergency. And we were upset by that because we didn't see any real changes. And then she went to Europe to promote San Francisco as a tourist destination. And we were like, what? This is, this is crazy. We didn't understand. I was like, it's not safe for the families that live there, let alone bringing people into this as, you know, tourist destination. So that's when we decided we're going to put a billboard up in Union Square, one of the most popular tourist destinations in San Francisco, and, you know, say, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Is your billboard still up? The not one in, in Union Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the one in Union Square in San Francisco is not still up, but the one in San Francisco is. It, it's okay. both directions on I-80. Okay. Sacramento. The one in Sacramento is still up. The one that I showed. Yeah, uh, the, first, the yep. first one. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So uh, um, the declaration of the state of emergency in San Francisco um, came about on was Christmas Eve. The Board of Supervisors had, last year, the Board of Supervisors had voted um, on the mayor's proposal. She opened up a place called the Tenderloin Linkage Center. And it was a place where people were supposed to be able to go to um, get respite and linked to housing and food and showers and services and drug treatment and mental health treatment. Uh, two weeks in or week or two weeks in, uh, we found out that they were allowing drug use. I was just going to say, I can see the handwriting on that wall. So yeah, the inside of a government department of public health funded building they built out a um, fenced area in the middle of United Nations Plaza in a park and literally allowed people to start shooting up, smoking heroin, smoking fentanyl, methamphetamines. And we were, uh, we, we couldn't believe it. We were like, how are you offering someone, hey, come in here, we can hook you up with substance use disorder treatment, um, some housing, and then you're walking by people using it. It's like, it, it's like having an AA meeting in a bar, right? It, we were, I mean, we were so upset. So wow. we, we decided we were going to protest in front of there. And five of us moms went out there and stood out there. They actually called for counter protesters to come out and um, no, it's really okay with the drugs in here. Oh no! Well, we didn't. They didn't want to violate their patients' anonymity or right or whatever. So it was. Ugh. I, I don't. Uh, it is. The common sense has, is gone. It's yeah. gone. It's all about this radical harm reduction, and you're allowed to hand out foil. You're allowed to hand out pipes. These are nonprofit agencies funded, funded by the Department of Public Health. Wow. That hand out foil, pipes, clean needles, I'm okay with because of, you know, the spread of HIV and hepatitis. Do I agree with it completely? But that, why, why do you need to hand out foil and lighters and... Pipes. Pipes. They hand out pipes, too. Wow. 
bagpipes. Wow. Um, my son told me that San Francisco is like Pleasure Island um, in Pinocchio, where you go there and you think it's going to be great. They give you everything you think you want. You got the drugs on one side of the street and the paraphernalia to use the drugs on the other side of the street. And you get drawn into it and it's really difficult to get out and it starts turning you into somebody you never wanted to be. Um, it's, it's really heartbreaking. And my son and um, I've even spoken with another addict who told me when they went into the linkage center to try to get services. So you walk into the linkage center to try and get a service. There might be um, some water. Sometimes there's food there. You put your name on a list to go inside and to see somebody to get these services. But to the right of you in the area where you're waiting are all these people using. And my son and this other person I spoke to said, that's very distracting when you're trying to come in and trying to make some changes or get some help. And they said, you know, it's so easy to get distracted and you end up there over there using with, you know, someone that, you know, from the streets, you walk over to say hi. And the next thing you know, you're using and then they call your name and you you don't hear it or you ignore it because now you're you're partying. And they made I mean, Gina can tell you they made hardly any links in the uh, month that it was open. Wow. And it, we told them protesters, we said this isn't going to work. It model will not work. Right. And we were proven right. Wow. So what's next for you guys? What are you doing next? I'm going to, anything that I can put in our email or I can talk about on the podcast, I want to do that. Do you have, what do you have planned? What's coming up? So on August 31st is, um, is it 21st? Mm-hmm. Well, oh there's two, there's a 21st and a 31st, but we're doing the 21st. Yeah. We're doing, we're going to be doing a, um, rally there's so much changing in san francisco right now uh, but we're going to be doing a rally for overdose awareness and fentanyl awareness and we are hoping to see community members come out and call for more action and more programs that promote something other than enabling okay because we have a lot of programs in san francisco that um enable in my opinion enable people we need some more programs that offer hope yeah it sounds like san francisco is doing a great job at enabling addicts absolutely there are very there are very few programs that offer a way out right very few yep there's actually over 500 beds available in san francisco we were just with a group um yesterday and we were talking with them about it and they said the the greatest issue is getting people um, is staffing. And we've, we've seen that as a huge issue as well. They're spending the money in the wrong places. They're, they're doing a horrible job with their resources. And they're spending so much money in San Francisco, but they're not putting it where it needs to be put. And Joni, there's no oversight. There's zero oversight or accountability on where the money goes for these programs. Wow. I mean... It's, yeah, there needs to be. Yeah. And right now you guys are providing the oversight, but you don't have the power. <laughs> but no, I'm doing the best it. I can. Yes. yes. I'm doing the best I 
Yes, you absolutely are, both of you. You have a Facebook group, yes? Drug yes. Yeah. And, and is it Mothers Against Drug Deaths? Is that Mothers what it's called? We also have a website that's a, a great way to get um, in touch with us. It's mothersagainstdrugdeaths.org. Right. I, w- I want, I'm going to promote that. And I also want to promote your Facebook group and wherever else you are on social media, because uh, for example, I am a member. I know there's a, well, I don't think I'm a member now because I'm a grandma, but there, I know groups of just moms and those groups need to know about your group because, yes. you know, if a mother listening or watching or whatever thinks, Oh, well, that's never going to happen to my kid. You need to think again. And you need to help, you know? I mean, this is just, uh, this is unbelievable. I had no idea what you guys were confronting and facing in San Francisco. I mean, yeah. One of the biggest things that I want to promote in our rally on August 21st is the fact that this is spreading from San Francisco out into the suburbs. And I really see that many parents do believe, not my kid. They do think that. And that's in- incredibly scary to me because if their child is going, and, and it's a really popular place for teens to go um, on the weekends for fun, is into San Francisco. And the exposure that they're getting there to these open-air drug scenes where people are normalizing drug sales and drug use is a very real risk. And to an impressionable teen that thinks, oh, that might not be so bad and look how easy it is. And there, you know, I can get a pipe and foil over here. So it mustn't be that horrible. That's, I mean, that's a real risk, a real risk to the kids in our communities. And at the rally, I really want to call for some some major, I want to call on the leaders in each city um, in Alameda and San Francisco County to put out a warning to parents. Honestly, that's what I'd like to do. It needs more attention. I I agree with you. And what I would um, like, if it's realistic for you guys, is to send me a list of who it is that needs to get a letter about this issue. Um, mm. I You said the board of supervisors. supervisors. I'd like, if you have a link, to say where people can go to find who these people are and to start inundating them with letters and requests for, you know, for fixing this, because, you know, we, I don't, I don't know how many people in San Francisco listen to this podcast. We, we know that we, you know, to date, we have over 500,000 downloads. That doesn't mean every time we'd put up an episode, we get that many, but the more we can put out the word and I like these mothers who live here, they can still write letters to your board of supervisors and say, this is not acceptable. This, your, your current operating basis as regards drugs in your area, it's flat out not acceptable and you need to do something about it. And if we can, if we can maybe shame them a bit, that would be okay. Absolutely. Yes. I do want to say that um, I think some people in the city are finally starting to wake up. Part of the issue with the drug dealers for quite a while was that police officers would arrest some drug dealers, but Chesa Boudin, the district attorney, would not prosecute because he was seeing the drug dealers as victims. Um, so 
he the police officers would stop making arrests because they couldn't get any it's just a lot of time of energy for no charges being pressed but just last month chesa Boudin was recalled so we, we were so excited about that yeah so good thing we're to see some some change in the city um well if we can yeah. utilize any any communication line that we have in especially in the public arena to really start making this known we absolutely will help you with that absolutely so Thank august you. 20 and august 21st we'll be talking about that rally so send us all the details as soon as you have them or you probably have them already but anyway send them to us because every week we put out an email um your podcast i think it may go up right after that. I'm not sure if we can, we'll get it up before then so that we can really promote the rally and get people right. there. Okay. Steve says before we'll do it before yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure this episode goes up before then so that we can um, call attention to what you guys are doing. I'm, I'm in awe of both of you. You are kick-ass mothers and it, yeah. And you have to do that. And I get it. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to. We don't want to be here. <laughs> you know, I we don't. Want we have to be here. We, we have, have to. We see it. Two people die of overdose in San Francisco every single day, and we have not seen that number go down with any of the measures that the board of supervisors or the mayors have put in place. Wow! So any day that could be my son. Yep. Yep. And. I, I have to do this. I, I have to do this because I really believe that I know that people are dying. And I really believe that we can make a change if we keep pushing. We're not going to give up. Sometimes this work is incredibly exhausting. And then yeah. we just kind of bolster each other. We have other people in our group that are, you know, come alongside us and we've become friends. We love each other so much. And that's what's helped also helping us to continue with our work because it's, it's absolutely exhausting and some yep. days are harder than others. I mean, I've, there's been a time when we were going to go do a protest and I felt so sick that I almost pulled over and just said, Gina knew it, but I was like, I wasn't going to go because it was, I was going to have to go pour my heart out again. And sometimes it's just emotionally and physically draining. And Gina's all, no, <laughs> You're going to come be with me. And then when I got there, you know, I felt, I felt so much better. Um, but some days, yeah, it's, you do feel like crawling into bed and, and pulling the blankets over your head, but because the work that we're doing is saving lives and we're trying to save lives that we just push ourselves and support each other. And we just keep doing it and we won't give up. We won't stop. Never. I'm in awe. I'm in awe of you both. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for sharing your stories and thank you for everything that you're doing with Mothers Against Drug Deaths. Thank you. I hope that the interview today with Gina and Jackie, who founded, co-founded Mothers Against Drug Deaths, I hope that what they talked about that is happening in San Francisco has disgusted you as much as it has disgusted me. And I want to I want to make a little bit of a comment. I think that most of the people who listen to this podcast listen because they know somebody who's addicted or they've been addicted themselves. Um, I, it doesn't matter. It, 
the point is that this is not something that just should be addressed by these handful of moms in San Francisco. This affects us all. I don't care where you live. If you're listening to this podcast and if you listen to these women talk, you need to figure out a, a way to support their organization and put out the word that anybody that lives in that area needs to help these ladies. And also, Put out the word to your own area. Don't ever think of going down this road because this is really, really bad. And it's unfortunate because San Francisco has always been just like a really wonderful, you know, town, beautiful city on the hills and everything. Yeah, but this one part of San Francisco has these open-air drug markets, and those drug sales are starting to filter out into the suburbs. And if you're visiting from out of town and you have young people that are going to go into this area... Hey, they can just bring it back home. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with another interview. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.